Thank you, Ted, for shepherding our hearts and the communication team. Thank you for bringing us a, a new logo. I was asked this morning while we were worshiping, someone asked me, why don't we get a new one? So anyways, it's good to be here with you um, on this wet Sunday morning. And I can't think of a better place that I'd rather be on a rainy Sunday morning than with you all. And if we ever need an ark and the floods come and we need to spend 40 days and 40 nights, I can't think of a group of people and family who I'd rather be with. Um, we are back this morning. I hope you all were just richly encouraged by our time last week, considering the love of God. And we come back this time this morning to the Sermon on the Mount and to Jesus' instruction on prayer, to the righteous prayer of his disciples, the beloved children of God. And this is, in fact, our fifth sermon on prayer. So let me ask you, how's your prayer life? And as I ask you, I want you to know these questions that I'm going to ask you are questions that the Lord has already asked of Julie and I. We answer them first before we come to you. But after hearing five expositions of Christ's commands about our prayer life, how is your prayer life? Has your prayer life changed at all? Is your prayer life changing as Jesus calls. We have to be honest and say, if our prayer life is not changing after hearing four sermons on what Christ commands in prayer, there's only two reasons, if there's no change or if it's not changing. Either one, our prayers are as perfect as Jesus, or number two, we're resisting and ignoring what Jesus is calling us to. Because in Matthew 6, by his command, Jesus is Messiah and the Son of God is changing the way his disciples pray. That is what is happening in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is changing the way his disciples pray. Their old way of praying is no longer adequate. Their old way of thinking is no longer adequate. Their old way of loving is no longer adequate because in Christ they are now beloved children of God. And Jesus is changing the way they think, the way they live, and the way they pray because he is their king and he is their God. When they now belong to a new family, and they have a new father, and in Christ they have a completely new life. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we thinking, are we living, are we changing? Because God has given us prayer to change our hearts and lives. God has given us prayer so that we might walk in his perfect love for his children. And so we need to ask, like Jesus' command, do we intentionally set aside time each day to be alone with our Heavenly Father and with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do we intentionally set aside time each day with the people God has put in our lives, our spouses, our children, our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we intentionally set aside time each day to come together to be alone with God and be alone with one another. Because as Jesus enters into the Lord's Prayer, he makes his transition and he uses those we words, our Heavenly Father. The implication here is that we are gathering together as a family with our Heavenly Father. Husbands, are you intentional about pursuing your wives to spend time each day with your heavenly Father and with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because what Christ points out is as we do so, what we are doing as we come and we are alone with our heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
is we are being brought in together to be bathed and to be washed and to revel in God's infinite and holy love for you. And if you love your wife and if you love your kids, you want them to be washed and bathed and struck down by the wonder of God's infinite love and his goodness and his care for his beloved children. And this, brothers and sisters, is why we pray for the hallowing of his name, for the coming of his kingdom, and for his will to be done in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, and in our places of work. And as we did this morning in our nation and among its leaders. And so we ask ourselves, do we do this? Do we bathe daily in the love and care and forgiveness and grace of our God? And if the answer is no, we must confess that we do not know God and we do not know his holiness and we do not know his love as he desires. Because this, brothers and sisters, is what prayer and the prayer of the beloved child of God is all about. One of Julie and my favorite Psalms is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the waters. He what? He restores my soul. And we love this prayer because we prayed this psalm a lot. We've lived this psalm and we know firsthand that this psalm is how the Lord loves and cares for his sheep. And in Matthew 6, Jesus commanded to his disciples to pray in this way. He does so because this is the way as we walk through the Lord's prayer This is the way his heavenly father loves and cares for his beloved children. And that's our big truth, brothers and sisters, for today. It's Christ's kingdom prayer is the way his heavenly father loves and cares for his beloved children. Christ's kingdom prayer is the way his heavenly father loves and cares for his beloved children. Do you want to know how God loves and cares for you? And spend time in this prayer and allow it to change your heart, your lives, the way you think, and the way you love. First, the people in your home and your family, and by extension, the family of God and your co-workers and the people who are difficult in your life. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start reading in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this or in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This is our Lord and Savior's prayer and his word. Brothers and sisters, like we've said before, how we pray, the way we pray, speaks volumes about our relationship with God, but it also speaks volumes about our relationship with one another. And the temptation a little bit here that Jesus identifies is for beloved children of God to worship and pray like the world. That's what comes easy. That's our autopilot. And how does the world pray? Well, you know, the way the world prays, prayer is essentially a call and response transaction with whoever or whatever we worship. 
we call, and if we call correctly and we get the right number, we get the response that we desire. I have a need, popcorn prayer, I need a parking spot this morning that's close to the church. Lord, give me that parking spot, right? I need to stay dry. Maybe one of those security men with the big umbrellas can come out and take care of me. Oh, he answered my prayer. Praise the Lord, right? And we're going to see later this morning we are to come to the Lord for our needs. But this idea of call and response that I pray and my prayers are petitions and the Lord's Prayer is a series of six petitions that covers everything we need. And many times that's the way we can pray the Lord's Prayer. And then we, if we do it right, we get the response that we want. Brothers and sisters, Jesus shows us in his Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew chapter 6 and in the Lord's Prayer, like all the things with the world, this is backwards. What he shows us is that in his kingdom, prayer is not an online transaction about our call and pressing a button and God's response. Kingdom prayer is about God's call to his beloved children and our response. That's what this prayer is. As you go back and you see, and you see the foundation where it begins with repentance and following Christ. Christ begins with a call. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near to you in and through Jesus and his proclamation of the gospel. That's really the foundation before we get to Matthew 5 through 7. And those first beatitudes are about a transformed heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, new desires. Blessed are those who mourn implication over your sin. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's a whole framework here of God calling to his children and his children being convicted and transformed and coming to him for what they need. It's a response to God's call of love to his children to be with him. This call for fellowship and communion with our Heavenly Father in Christ. And we see that this call continues with Jesus' command for his disciples to pray intentionally and daily as beloved children of God. And as such, prayer is not simply a petition, brothers and sisters. It's a participation in God's perfect and love and care for his children by faith. Prayer is a participation by faith in God's perfect love and care for his children. Why do my boys eat dinner with Julie and I? Is it because they need food? No, it's part of it. Do they have dinner with us because they ask nicely? Please, sir, can we have more food? Wouldn't life be easier if we just packed them TV dinners and sent them off to their room so that Julie and I could get on with sermon prep and whatever we need to do? Would be faster. It would be more convenient. But they eat dinner with us regularly because we love them and in love we call them as our beloved boys to be part of our family and our fellowship. It's more than just about eating food. And it's a family and fellowship that's created by God to intentionally and daily care for them, both spiritually and physically. Why do we insist? Because they need to know the love and care of God as their Heavenly Father. And this morning, we're going to gather around the table that Christ insists we gather around on a regular basis. And clearly by the size of the cup and the size of the cracker, it ain't just about food, right? And this brings us to our first point for this morning. God's beloved children know and love their Heavenly Father in prayer. Brothers and sisters, I labor over this in no small part because Jesus has spent a significant portion laboring over this in his work. And he labors over this issue and we labor over this for you to come to him in prayer because this is the way God 
teaches you how to know and love him. And his desire in prayer is to fill your hearts with his perfect love. And when we don't come on a regular basis, it's usually because our hearts are filled with another love. When we see this knowing and loving our Heavenly Father in prayer is where Christ's model prayer begins. After Jesus commands his disciples in verse 9, in this way therefore habitually pray, what follows in verses 9 and 10 is a confession of who God is and how he loves them in Christ. We spent a whole weekend last weekend considering this. And in Christ, God has adopted them, these disciples, as his beloved children. But this is also a confession of a beloved child's embrace by faith of Christ's heavenly father as their heavenly father. Yes, by faith, you are my father. Not all of the other gods of this world, not my employer, not even our biological parents. Our first and foremost father is our heavenly father in Christ. And Jesus points out this is something the disciples are to come to together, not individually at this point in time. Another believer, our brother and sister, their heavenly father is my heavenly father. We're united together. We have the same father. Our father, the one who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like Jesus, it's a confession that I accept and desire all of you. I desire all of God's love, all of his kingdom and all of his will. And this is the heart, not just of the Lord's prayer. It's the heart of God's life in us. So do you. By faith, you accept and desire all of God in your life, all of his love, all of his kingdom, all of his will for all of your life. Jesus shows his disciples are to intentionally and habitually draw near to God as the Holy and Heavenly Father who has loved and saved and adopted them into his heavenly family. How? By sacrificing and sending and giving his holy and beloved Jesus Son, Jesus Christ, to be their king, to be their righteousness, to be their substitute, and to be their sacrifice on the cross for their sins. So we have to ask, brothers and sisters, do we love and know God in this way? For those who struggle with prayer, and we're going to talk about this this morning, just think about a heart for prayer that would come if we stopped and meditated and considered all the things that we talked about last week, about what Jesus did, what he sacrificed, what he suffered on your behalf for you personally, so that you could come to his Father in prayer, and so that you could know his Father's love the way he does. Brothers and sisters, how could we not pray? without ceasing. And as we look at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we just see that this is what draws him near to his Father in prayer. And this is what motivates him, and this is what gives him peace and rest. We have to ask ourselves, what do you begin your day with, and what do you end your day with? Do we begin and do we end with the Father's love? And do we begin and end with his perfect care for us? Do we begin and end with his plans for us that are good? And if not, what do we begin and end our day with? Because as we do, as we draw near, as we come to him, and we revel in who he is and what he has done for us. We are surrendering by faith to Christ's power and his authority and rule over our lives. What is the aim of Christ's power and authority and rule over your lives? Is it to give you a hard time? Is it to make you suffer? His love in your life, his power, his authority, his rule, his commands... The intent of those are so that you would know his Father. 
and so that you would know his love. And this is God's will for his children, that we will grow in knowing and loving him as our heavenly father. And as we grow in knowing him as our heavenly father, we will grow in in knowing and loving his holy and perfect care for us in Christ. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, our burdens and our desires will begin to change. What we see and we know and we experience, what a good shepherd he is, that his rule and his command is not brutal and unkind, but instead it lifts the burden of sin. Does it bring us to a cross? Absolutely it does. But does it set us free from the tyranny of sin and death? Absolutely. But what ends up happening is our burdens of our heart, our desires, are no longer the idols and worries of this world. The burden in our heart is his kingdom and his will in our hearts, our marriages, our lives, our places of work, and in the world. How do you change the world as an accountant, as an electrical engineer, as a physician? It's Christ in you, and it's his kingdom and his glory shining forth, and it's his will being done every minute in every way. In the humble things of life and in the great things of life. And brothers and sisters, this is why prayer is such a struggle. Because if we are to truly know God's perfect and love and care for us in Christ, we've got to surrender our kingdoms and our will for his. And we have to address this issue. Who's going to be king of my marriage? Who's going to be king of my parenting? Who is going to be king of my place of work? Is it going to be Christ or us? Who is going to be king of my free time? And who is going to be the father of this all, the lust of this world, or our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father? Sinclair Ferguson writes, Prayer involves struggle. Not the struggle of persuading God, but the struggle of being subdued by God, coming out of the dark and secret places where we have been hiding the truth about ourselves and laying the whole of ourselves before him. We struggle because prayer makes us vulnerable, brothers and sisters. But men, if we cannot be vulnerable with the Lord, will we be vulnerable with our families? Ladies, wives, if we can't be vulnerable with the Lord, can you be vulnerable with the important people that the Lord has placed in your life, be it a spouse or the children? Brothers and sisters, if we never struggle in this way, if we are never growing in knowing God's perfect love and care, we will never share and express that love for the people who are sitting next to us. But if we do, we begin to see that in Christ, there's no need to hide. Why? Because in Christ, God loves and cares for us as his own. And that's why Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, closes his epistle to address and minister to saints who are suffering. What does he say? He says, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And brothers and sisters, if we are not willing to humble ourselves and struggle, and if we are not willing to make ourselves vulnerable before the Lord, we will never know how much he cares for us. And sometimes that's why the Lord brings adversity and difficulty in our lives. Because until we really need and we're really desperate, many times we don't come to him and say, hey, I am helpless, I can't fix this, I need your help. I don't understand. Lord, would you come in and do what needs to be done as a heavenly father does? And this brings us to our second point for this morning. God's beloved children know and depend on his perfect care in Christ. God's beloved children know and depend 
on his perfect care in Christ. And this is what Jesus models for the disciples in verses 11 through 12. When he prays, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And it's with these words, Jesus is commanding his disciples, commanding to intentionally and habitually look to their heavenly father to nourish them and to provide the necessities, the basic necessities of life. He's pointing and he's showing them God doesn't just care about the spiritual. We just go to God for the invisible things, but the things I need, my work, my food, my finances, my daily things, that's, that's me. No, a good father cares for all of his children, the inside and the out. And Jesus is showing God's care. Why? Because his heavenly father is the one who loves and cares for his beloved children perfectly. In the ancient Near East, bread was a symbol of the basic necessities of life. What everyone needs each day to live and survive. But in God's word, more than food. Bread is a testimony of the life God graciously creates, the life God graciously gives, and the life God providentially cares for every minute and every moment. From the soil to the seed, to the rain and the grain, sowers and reapers, water and yeast. I was supposed to bring someone starter this morning. I don't know, I may have forgotten. Oh, we got it. To the baker's hands and oven, to breaking bread together. As you come to the Lord's Supper today and you see that little piece of cracker that looks insignificant, it is a testimony to the symphony of God's gracious and providential care for his creation. From seed to loaf, all the different things that need to happen. He doesn't say, give us this day our daily grain or seed. It's all of it, including the entire community that he's put together to bring together that piece of bread. It's a testimony that God he is thinking before and after and around you, and there is no detail that he leaves unchecked in order to love and care for you. It's what we doubt when we get anxious and stressed. And in Exodus 16:3, after Moses leads the children of Israel by the Lord God's command and care out of slavery in Egypt, where does he bring them to? The wilderness. And he's doing it for a reason. They have a new family. They're no longer in Egypt. And he's brought them in the wilderness to be alone with him, to worship him, to know him as their heavenly father. And what is the response of Israel? They grumble. There's no 7-Eleven out here in the wilderness. There's no Bushan out here in the wilderness. There's no Manresa out here in the wilderness. And what do they say? Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we ate bread to the full. And they then accused Moses and Aaron of bringing them into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Did you bring us out here to kill us with hunger? And Mo Moses points out to them, when they grumble in this way, who are they really grumbling against? The Lord. And later in the Psalms, and Moses will also point out, the reason they are grumbling is not just because they're hungry. They do not believe that God is able or willing to love and care for them. They would prefer to take care of themselves in slavery in Egypt than rather having to depend on the love and care of God. Rather do it my way, even if it's only a little bit. So what does the Lord do? Does he strike them down? He rains bread from heaven called manna 
but he commands them that they are to gather only a day's portion, except on the sixth day in preparation for the Sabbath. He's commanding them to be dependent on him each day. They are not to hoard. They are not to barter. They are not to sell for profit. He's teaching them, hey, this is not so that you can go out and party and have a good time and think, hey, I got it made in the shade. I don't have to do anything anymore. My dad's rich. This is to teach you how your father loves, that he takes care of you every minute and every moment, and you don't have to fret or hoard or grumble or worry. You can follow me. Why does the Lord do this? Deuteronomy 29.6, he says, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. That you may know that I am the Lord your God. He's different from the other gods who you always have to fret and worry and hoard and wonder, am I right with him? And this was to teach them to live as God's children in humble dependence on his perfect care, to walk in his love, not once, not twice, every day. Brothers and sisters, have you learned that lesson? How much does the Lord have to take away from us in order for us to realize we can trust him every minute and every moment, regardless of the circumstances. And this is what Jesus was teaching his disciples to do through prayer, daily to trust and depend on God's perfect care. Brothers and sisters, what is the remedy for anxiety? What is the remedy for hoarding? What is the remedy of exploiting others for profit? It's walking in the love of a God who loves us perfectly, of trusting him, of learning to do it day by day, minute by minute, moment by moment, and understanding I don't need to worry about tomorrow because God has that in hand. Now, Proverbs points out, does it mean we don't save and we don't steward? Well, we do save, we do steward well, but we save according to God's standards, not in order to protect ourselves, but because God has a plan and we want to be ready to invest in his plan when the time comes. Saving is waiting for the Lord's timing. Hoarding is stockpiling selfishly to take care of myself, my time, my energy, in case I may need to do something. It's about trusting in myself rather than the Lord. And the implication of give us this day our daily bread is that our lives and everything that sustains us, every second, every minute, every hour, everything is entirely a gift of God's love from the air we breathe to the bread we eat. This, brothers and sisters, is why we come to the Lord in prayer. Not that he hasn't already taken care of it. But that we can begin to rest. That he knows what we need before we ask. He has cared for us. And it's a confession on a certain level. That he is able and willing and delights in taking care of the simplest and most basic necessities of our lives. And it's worth noting. Christ calls his disciples to do this daily. Husbands, you gather your wives together on a daily basis and consider the needs of your children, the needs of your house, the needs of your family. And do you come to the Lord and ask for his provision, not your ability to provide for all of those things? Wives, do you help your husbands in this way? And do you let them know and remind them, hey, we haven't prayed about some of these things. Just because the rent has been paid already does not mean we do not need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, would you provide for us? Recognizing that he is the one who fills our pockets, pays the rent, and puts food on our table. When we don't do that, brothers and sisters, our propensity is to fear and worry and bore, and we miss out on the freedom and the joy and the rest and the peace that comes from knowing we have a heavenly father who cares for us. But Jesus does not stop here. After instructing his disciples to ask God daily for their daily bread, 
in almost the same breath, he adds in verse 12, and forgive us our debts. And in this way, he shows us that our needs are more than just bread. And though our need for bread is great, brothers and sisters, what's the greater need? It's not either or. It's the need to be forgiven and restored daily by our Heavenly Father. To be washed, to be cleaned, to be sanctified, and to be set free from our sin by a God who loves us and desires to do so. Brothers, that's what prayer is. Prayer is taking a bath in the love of our Heavenly Father. Parents, how often do you need to clean your children? I do a popcorn clean. I feel like it and I see something, I get a swab and I swab my kid's forehead or the armpit or whatever comes by. How often do we brush our children's teeth? Oh, when I remember when they need it. Do we do it that way? I have news for you. Neither does our Heavenly Father. Right? We know as parents that there is a need to wash and clean our children daily. And we don't do it out of respectability. We do that so that they can enjoy the lives that God has given them. One of the brothers shared with me last night that he worked as a pizza delivery person back in college. And he shared with me how those pizzas were in his vehicle so often he went around, he said his vehicle always smelled of pizza. And after a while, he forgot and became desensitized. He didn't even know until others came around and commented on it. Brothers and sisters, that's an illustration of our sin in our life. It's there. It stinks. But when we don't address it and we don't wash, we don't smell it anymore, and we don't see a need for it to be addressed. But other people do. And our Heavenly Father loves us so much. Christ calls his children to come, not once in a blue moon, but regularly to come and ask their Heavenly Father, forgive us our debts. Who here can go 24 hours without ever sinning? Without a thought or word or deed that deviates from God's word? Brothers and sisters, if we love God and we love our brothers and sisters, that should break our hearts. In Scripture, God refers to our sin and our disobedience to his word as spiritual adultery and personal debt to him. And that's because in God's word, debt refers to a failure to honor and fulfill a moral and legal obligation. A debt is a failure to honor and fulfill a moral and legal obligation. So in Exodus 22, 7 in the law, it says, If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, the one who's borrowed it shall make full restitution. And that term full restitution is the word shalem, which comes from shalom. To make full restoration means to make someone whole. So I borrow your oxen. I plow my field. One of those ox gets injured on my watch. What does God demand? That I hand back that ox to you with a limp? It's an accident. Sorry. Sorry, bud. There's a principle for God's people that there is a moral and legal responsibility to rightly care for all they have been given. And when loans and gifts are abused or destroyed, sorry is inadequate. And the damage that happens when a moral and legal obligation is broken affects not only your relationship with the Lord, it affects your relationship with that person and it affects the entire community. How thrilled are you with that individual when they borrow that plate or they borrow that whatever it is and they hand it back and it's dirty and it's broken. It's not a warm fuzzy, right? And the Lord is coming to his people and he's saying, I am a God who makes you whole. You are to be a people 
who walk in my love. Our boys were playing with the neighbors and they were playing with the neighbor's ball, two little kids. And while they were handling that ball and tossing it around, the ball deflated. So what do you do? Right? Well, wasn't our fault. That's what happens when you play ball. Let's see, you got a ball, you play with the guys. You got to know that's going to happen, right? We said as a family, look, we're here in this neighborhood as a witness. We are a light. God is our king. The kingdom of heaven is here. What are we going to do? Just kind of slink away. It's shh, shh. No, let's buy the ball. Let's get them a new ball. Let's go over to the kid's house. Let's give it to them. Because that's how our Lord rules. That's what's in Exodus. That is the principle that God gives, right? We're less worried about taking ourselves and taking care of ourselves. We're more interested in representing the Lord, a God who makes people whole. So a few days later, there's a knock on the door. And there are my sweats, right? Come down. Who's there? The father of those two little boys. How many say, hey, I was in the neighborhood. Your boys didn't have to do that. Just, wow, you know, I mean, you have an opportunity for the sake of your gospel. Our God is a God who makes people whole. And this, brothers and sisters, is what forgiveness is about. It's about our God coming and paying the price for something we broke in order to make us whole. And in scripture, forgiveness is also both a moral and legal term. It refers to the legal release from guilt and penalty and debt. Why? Because the penalty and debt for an offense has been paid in full. And someone asks for forgiveness when damage has been done and when that individual cannot cover the cost to make it right. That's why you ask for forgiveness. I can't pay the debt. I can't make you whole. Will you forgive the debt? And when you ask for forgiveness, you are admitting culpability, but you are also admitting inability to make things right. But then you are also asking for the person you offended to pay the price to make it right, for their mercy, for their grace. So brothers and sisters, why don't we ask for forgiveness more often? Why don't we come to the Lord on a regular basis? Is it because we don't have sin? And yet, brothers and sisters, when we do, what we discover is we have a heavenly Father who loves us and has already provided a way for us to be forgiven, who welcomes us with open arms and says, I am happy and delighted to pay the price. Come to me. And though your sins be as scarlet, your life will now be as white as snow because my son has given his life and died on the cross to make things right. And then there is a freedom, brothers and sisters. There is a cleanliness that is not our own. There is a relief. There is a removal of guilt. We can put our head on the pillow saying, my God has made it right, though I am a wretch. And we have to ask ourselves, how often do we forego that? The sweetness of a father's love and forgiving and restoring and making right what a child cannot. And we have to ask ourselves if we're not going, brothers and sisters, on a regular basis to the Lord for forgiveness, then what are we saying about ourselves? Don't need it. I'm good. And then we wonder, brothers and sisters, why we don't ask others for forgiveness. If we can't come to the Lord in private and say, I blew it, I'm wrong. I can't fix it. I need your mercy and grace. Lord, you alone can make it right. How will we ever go to our wives and our children? When I first came to this church, I tried to make it a point, especially with the young men, to ask for forgiveness. Not ask forgiveness for anything willy-nilly, but if there was something I believed that I had done wrong or I had wronged them, 
where there was a hurt, I would go, would you remove the debt? Would you allow things to be right? It was interesting because one brother came to me as he observed this and clearly it made him feel uncomfortable. And he said, hey, I saw you ask this person for forgiveness. You asked me for forgiveness. Well, you better check in with the Lord on that. There must be something wrong with you. Paraphrasing. We feel uncomfortable, don't we? This out. It, it seems like it's not normal, but Jesus is coming in prayer and saying, this is to be a normal part of your life because your Father loves you. And when you say, our Heavenly Father, this is to be horizontal and vertical with one another on a regular basis where forgiveness is just a way a, a beloved child of God is the way you function because you've received forgiveness and you give forgiveness. So then pray like this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Then in verse 12, Jesus does not say forgive us our debts. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And taken in context, you know, Jesus is not coming and saying you earn your forgiveness from the Lord or God is only forgiving you because you've forgiven other people. That is not what he's saying. And next week we'll deal with this in a little more in depth. What Jesus is pointing out is that God's love and care is infinite. God's love and care is without measure. God's love and care is free. But it is not unconditional, brothers and sisters. Get that out of your mind. You don't come to church for unconditional love. God's love is conditional. It is free. It is gracious. It is made available, but it is not unconditional. Big difference. God's love comes with a condition. His forgiveness comes with a condition. He gives his forgiveness only to his beloved children in one place and one place alone, in Christ. And that's why the entire Sermon on the Mount is preceded with Christ's call and command, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you have not turned to Christ and come to him on his terms, if it's all on your terms, first you're not going to ask for forgiveness. It comes, brothers and sisters, freely when we come to him as our heavenly father in Christ. And what is the proof that we have come to him as our heavenly father in Christ? The proof, brothers and sisters, of true repentance is a hunger and thirst for righteousness, a poverty of spirit, a mourning over sin, a grief that we cannot fix. These things are our own and a demonstrating of mercy to others because we ourselves are a people who need mercy and have received mercy from the only one who can give us the mercy we need, the Heavenly Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's the proof? Forgiving others as he has forgiven us. And so we see that there's a condition and that condition brings us to the one place where we can receive this love, and that's in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our final point this morning. God's beloved children depend on his leadership in prayer. Having addressed his disciples' sin, Jesus closes his prayer with, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what's Jesus showing us? As we listen to the, his prayer in context, as we listen to the Sermon on the Mount, it's very clear this is not just any prayer. Jesus is showing his disciples this is a prayer that leads God's beloved children in the love and the forgiveness and the care and the protection only his heavenly Father can give. It's leading us in the life that God's given us. And this, brothers and sisters, is the love and care and forgiveness each one of us needs every minute and every moment. 
Brothers and sisters, do you need this love and do you need this forgiveness and care? Do you know it or are you walking in it? Can I have my final slide, please? Thank you. These are some questions that are helpful to ask as we consider. Are we walking in the Father's love? Number one, have we repented? Have we surrendered our lives to Christ? It's yours, Lord, all of it. Do we daily struggle by faith to pray? It is a struggle, brothers and sisters. It's a struggle with our flesh. It's a struggle with the kingdoms of this world. It's a struggle with unbelief, but it is a struggle worth fighting. And it's a struggle that the Lord gives us strength. Do you struggle daily by faith to come to your heavenly Father in prayer? Do you daily depend on God's love and care for the basic necessities of your life? Do you daily seek forgiveness from God? Do you daily give forgiveness of God? When we see in this way, brothers and sisters, by the power of the Holy Spirit, what our God does in prayer is he transforms us. He renews our minds. He renews our marriages. He renews our work. He renews our heart. He washes and cleans us. He restores us. He nourishes us. After getting beaten down by the ugliness of this world and our sin, and he puts us back on our feet so that we can walk in his love. And we see later in John 6, when Jesus sees a large crowd coming to him, he asks Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Philip says to him, eight months' wages aren't enough to take care of these people. In Mark's gospel we see how jesus looks on the crowd with compassion because he cares for them and later in john 6 he says i am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst when we see that the place and the person we need is our lord and savior jesus christ for in him brothers and sisters god loves and cares for us perfectly that is what we're about to celebrate at the Lord's table. And brothers and sisters, we can do it joyfully and we can celebrate because the world does not know this God and he is our heavenly father in Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive us for not coming to you and trusting you and resting in the perfect love that you and your Heavenly Father give us. Help us this day. Forgive us for our sins. We are unable, O oh Lord, to forgive ourselves, to make things right, to remove the debt or guilt. And yet, Lord Jesus, your death on the cross once and for all is sufficient, past, present, and future, so that we can draw near to your heavenly Father, so that we can be beloved children of God, so that we can stand in your love, so that we can draw near with confidence, having been sprinkled with your blood, and to have a clear and clean conscience, and to have a confidence, so that we can walk with you in your love and forgiveness, and show the world, O Lord, a light and a life which it so desperately needs. In your name we pray, amen.